Carpenter's Way. Why don't you guys get up on your feet, find somebody and tell them good morning. Oh, and all my heart is mine. 
Good morning. Um, it is great to see you here uh, on Memorial Day weekend, and, and we just we want to take a moment uh, just to really remember uh, the men and women who have paid the ultimate sacrifice um, that allows us the freedom to do what we do here this morning. Um, it seems like we live in a time where we take more and more for granted the freedoms that we have, um, but just as you spend the weekend, this weekend usually is associated with going to the lake or going to the beach, um, but don't ever forget what this weekend is about. Um, and many of you as families have paid that sacrifice because you've had loved ones who have served and who've given their lives for our country, and we say thank you for that sacrifice. But we want to take a moment to remember, and I want to pray this morning before I even get into announcements, um, to thank God um, for the freedoms that we have. Um, you know, our country is not perfect, if you haven't figured that out, um, but we're still, in my opinion, my humble opinion, one of the greatest nations on the earth, um, because we really do have um, freedoms of religion, and we can serve, and we can worship, um, and that's a freedom that many of our brothers and sisters across the world simply don't have. So I want to pray this morning as we start our time together, and before we jump into announcements, let's pray together. God, thank you so much. Um, for what this weekend represents for us as a country, the men and women over the years who have paid the ultimate sacrifice, uh, who've laid down their life so that we can enjoy a morning like this. God, may we never, ever forget uh, the sacrifices that those men and women have made for us. Because God, it really reminds us of the ultimate sacrifice that you paid as Jesus laid his life down so that we might have freedom. So, God, this morning, as we begin our time together, um, as we get ready to celebrate this weekend and spend time with friends and family, God, may it be always on our mind that it's really about remembering those who've given everything that they have so that we could enjoy the things that we enjoy. We are so grateful, and I'm so grateful that you allow us to live in a country where we can gather together as a people to celebrate you and to honor you. God, we love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, good morning. <laughs> it's great to see you, and uh, there is a lot going on. Uh, as most of you know, we went through graduation. Uh, several, several of us had children who graduated, and I think we're over our graduation hangovers by now. And uh, kind of like, yay, they're graduating. Now what? Uh, get a job. Um, I'm not sure. <laughs> but we're excited for that, and uh, we have some guests here with us this morning, families that were in for graduation, so welcome, and thanks for worshiping with us. Um, but as the school year comes to an end, in children's and student ministry in particular, uh, we ramp up and things get really, really busy. A lot of activities going on. I want to go through a couple things in our worship guide this morning just to make you aware of. Uh, we are currently accepting donations for our Amazon mission trip. And uh, if you'll take a look at that list, if there's anything that you can help, um, they take um, supplies with them every year and, and leave and give to the folks down there on the river. So if you can help out with that, we've got some information um, there. Also, um, it is uh, kind of hard to believe, but VBS is just around the corner. And, uh, and so that registration is taking place right now. You can register uh, in the lobby, or uh, you can actually register online this year. If you follow our children's and preschool ministry on Facebook, uh, there's some links on there that you can go and actually register online and kind of bypass the paper. So uh, take advantage of that if you would like. Um, this coming Wednesday night, the 
still take notes, um, is going to be a family water night at the uh, Chambers uh, Park Splash Pad. And so parents, um, for all of our teen kid and preschoolers, uh, just bring a lawn chair, come out and relax, have some fun. Uh, just spend some time as the, uh, the preschool children's kick off this summer, uh, this Wednesday night. And then if you have a student uh, in 6th through 12th grade, uh, we kick off our summer the following Wednesday night, uh, which I believe is June 5th. Uh, so make sure you take note of that. Um, also want to uh, just uh, kind of give you an update on our uh, restrooms. They're still working on them. So <laughs> that's all I got. Um, we, uh, we, we just really want to say uh, to our women, we appreciate your patience as we work on this project, and they actually are making headway on it. And uh, so if you'll continue to be patient with us for just a little bit longer, trust me, you're going you're gonna to enjoy the new restrooms as much as you enjoy restrooms. They're <laughs> I'm not ever sure how to say that. Enjoy. I don't, okay. So, but we, uh, we appreciate your patience. And also want to say thank you for your faithfulness and giving, uh, which is allowing us to complete this project. Um, and this phase of the project is being done all for cash. So we're very, very excited about that. And thank you for your faithfulness and giving. Uh, we're going to ask our ushers to come forward as we receive our offering this morning. And just want to remind you that uh, if you are not a member of Carpenter's Way, that we don't expect you to give anything. It's the responsibility uh, of our members uh, to help support the ministry here, uh, to uh, help support ministries around the world through our missions organizations and giving. Um, and just kind of be paying attention to these next few weeks. Uh, we've got a lot of things starting to happen. Like I said, the GBS, our summer kickoff, our summer youth camp, children's camp, preaching, preaching camp, mission trips, a lot of things that are happening. So please continue to be in prayer. Uh, for all these ministries as uh, we get ready to have what we believe is going to be just a great summer. So let me pray for us again, and uh, we'll jump into worship. God, thanks so much for this morning as we have an opportunity to gather together. Um, God, we thank you for the faithfulness of individuals and families in this room who continue to give and honor you through their, and worship you through their giving, and we, we're grateful for that. God, we're thankful uh, that you provide for us um, every week, and we know that that is your blessings on us, and we're grateful for that, and we honor that, and, and so thank you. But God, as we get ready to head into the summer, it's a busy time, a lot of great things happening with children and preschool and mission trips and just everything going on. God, I pray that throughout it all, that this summer, uh, as we really kick it off this week, will be about continuing to point people to you every single opportunity we have. So God, we give you this morning, I pray for Chad as he prepares uh, to open up the word in a few moments as we continue to worship together. God, may you be honored and blessed this morning. And then may you speak to us clearly through your word as Chad opens it up this morning. God, we give you this time, and we say thank you for your love and your mercy as we continue to show us day after day. In Jesus' name we pray. The offering plate passes this morning. If you want to stand and worship with us, you're more than welcome. Yeah. 
know have you not heard the Lord is the everlasting God the creator of the ends of the earth he will not grow tired or weary and his understanding no one can fathom he gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak even youths grow tired and weary and young men stumble and fall but those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength they will soar on wings like eagles they will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. I stand a 
about to sing a song, uh, and I don't do this very often because it's just weird. Uh, it's weird talking about songs you wrote because it feels like um, grandiose, you know, like, oh, look what I did. Um, but I wrote this song, and uh, I, when I wrote it, I actually just kind of put it aside, um, and I sang it in my living room, basically, and I thought it was a song just for me, and I really didn't think people would get it because the song just says, there you are, and I didn't know that people would really grasp it, that they would understand what I was saying, but the, the concept, the idea was... I'm in my living room, just praying. I don't remember exactly what was going on, but just asking God, like, where are you? Like, I'm the only one that's ever asked that, right? Ask God, where are you? Like, you say you're doing all these things. You, you say you're closer than a brother, but I don't, I don't feel you. I don't know that. And I don't really hear God speak. I don't hear, like, voices, that kind of thing. But as clearly as I've ever heard God speak in my life, he said, I'm right here. And so the idea of the song was, oh, there you are. Oh, you've been right there the whole time. And so as we sing through that, I think we, we live our life in that, in that area of this is who we are. We're Christians, and, and God is almost over there. Like he's, he's up in heaven doing his thing. He's like watching over everything. But we don't really realize that he's, he's right there. He's with us. He's always with us. And we have those moments where we turn around and be like, oh, there you are. There you are. I didn't realize you've been there. You've been standing there the whole time. You've just been right there. And so as we sing through this this morning, that's, that's the picture. That's the concept of the idea of, of as we're singing, there you are. There you are, more than I imagine, standing here in front of me. And there you are, words can't describe you. I fall down before you, and there you are.
course with us how great and how great is our God sing with me how great is our God and
Who hatched the plan? <laughs> that wasn't a plan. No, no, no. When you're desperately in need, you don't stop and think that digging a hole in the roof of a stranger's house might be a bad idea. You just do it. So we did it. And how we pulled that operation off, that's a story for another day. <laughs> and it's a good one. <laughs> you, you should have seen everybody's face when they were lowering me down, all sprawled out on that mat. At one point, I just looked at everybody, and I was just like, hello. <laughs> everybody was shocked, except for Jesus. It's like he was expecting me. Jesus, he had this big smile on his face. He looked up at my friends. He looked at me, and he said these words. He said, my son, your sins are forgiven. Now listen. I wasn't being lowered down on a mat because I was exhausted from running a marathon. I was being lowered on a mat because my legs didn't work. So when he said he was gonna forgive my sins, I was thinking, sins? What about my legs? But I just didn't get it then. See, in saying he could forgive sins, Jesus was kind of, you know, he wasn't kind of saying it. He was, he was claiming to be God. Now, I don't have time to tell you everything the Pharisees told us we had to do to earn forgiveness. Needless to say, it'd be easier to move a mountain than to find forgiveness. And here, Jesus is just handing it out. Most everybody in that room had to be thinking the same thing. Who does this guy think he is? Who does this guy think he is? Oh. You can't forgive sins if you're not God. And if you're not God, you can't do this. I went in there hoping that I could stand on my own two feet and I walked out free from sin. That's a miracle that doesn't just change me. That changes the world. Amen, right? We're going to go ahead and dismiss our kids. Some of you may have already started that. Give them a second to, to head out. So I get the, the privilege and honor of picking back up with Jesus. In case you guys forgot, this is what we're talking about. So, uh, yeah, I get to pick up where uh, Pastor Mark left us a couple weeks ago. So give him a couple more seconds to get out. 
get their way out there. All right. Have you ever asked for something? Um, have you ever wanted something, and then you actually received it, you, you got it, but then you got something on top of it that was better than the thing you were asking for? Has that ever happened to anybody? Maybe a Christmas present, maybe you're asking for something, and then you get it, but then there was this other thing that came with it, and you're like, whoa, I didn't even think about that. That's even better than the thing I was asking for. When I was a kid, I wanted a new bicycle. Um, I loved riding bikes. There's just one problem. I've been rolling around on this thing. For you youngsters, this is called a huffy, and that is a banana seat, and it is not very comfortable. But this is what I really wanted. This is a 10-speed bike. This is what I wanted. I wanted to go from the Civic to the Lamborghini, right? So let me paint you a picture. We lived about five miles out of town. And when I say town, it's kind of relative. We had, um, let's see, two banks, one grocery store, about five gas stations, and a feed store. That was it. Our town was so small, Dairy Queen wouldn't even come to town. <laughs> like, you know you're pretty small when Dairy Queen's like, nope, not coming there. Not going to do it. Um, but for us kids, there just there wasn't much better than jumping on our bikes and riding into town. I don't know what it was about it. It was just the freedom. It was just it was able to get away from the house, just riding around town. And um, for you, again, you youngsters, back in the day, people trusted people. And so what we would do is there was, a, there was a gas station called Smitty's. And what we would do is we would go into Smitty's, and we could just grab whatever we wanted, and we could just walk out. That's crazy, right? We would just go in, we're like, hey, Mr. Smitty, I'm going to grab a Dr. Pepper and a Three Musketeer. And Mr. Smitty was like, okay, see you later. And he would put it on my mom's charge account, and then at the end of the month, mom would try to figure out how to pay it. But uh, that's what we did. That's what we did. There was just, there was something about getting on your bike, riding into town, and just being like, man, we can do whatever we want to do today. We can ride around town. We can go get some Cokes. We can go get a Three Musketeer. We can, we can do whatever we want. And so the only problem was, again, I was riding around this Huffy, and Five miles may not seem that far, but when you're on this, that's a long ways. That's a long ways to go. And so I was asking for a bike. And so my birthday rolls around, and what do you know? I get a 10-speed bicycle. I'm asking for it, never expected to get it. It was just like, hey, why don't we just throw the ask out there and you know, see what happens. No chance I'm getting a 10-speed bicycle. Walk out into the garage, and there's a 10-speed bicycle out there. And I don't even think it's mine. I'm like, somebody left a bicycle here. This is, like, uh, this is crazy. And they're like, no, this is your bike. And actually, I think I had to get on the bike that night, and I'm pretty sure I wrecked it the first night. Um, I had to jump on it. It was dark, and I kind of peel out in some sand and just, just dump it over. So just break it right in, you know, just break it in. But I loved it. I had to get on this bike. And I knew, I kind of thought I knew what this bike would, would bring me. Um, but I really didn't realize all that it was going to give me. So I wanted the bike so that I could ride faster, so I could go up the hills easier. Uh, what I didn't realize is that this bike was going to give me a whole lot more freedom. Okay? Now, since I'm on this bike and I'm not riding the Huffy, I don't really have to think about do I want to go into town. Because that's, there's a lot of hills, there's a lot of dogs on the way. And if you've ever ridden a Huffy, it's not the fastest bicycle. And so there were times then you get, you get a little bite on the ankle because you can't outrun the dog. And so you're really thinking about, do I really want to go into town or, or is it my, am I cool with just riding around here? But with this, I'm like, let's go. Let's do it. I don't even have to think about it. Like, bring it on, dogs. I'll outrun you all day long. Hills, psh, I don't get it. I got 10 gears, man. I can, I can walk up these hills. And so I didn't realize 
exactly what I was going to get. The bike made everything so simple. Uh, it was so much easier. Uh, I wanted the bike because it was cooler than the Huffy, but I didn't realize that I was getting the freedom. I was getting the freedom from having to consider, do I really want to go? But really, the biggest thing I was getting, I was getting freedom from looking like a loser on a Huffy. So that was really, that was really what I got. And I kind of thought that, but I didn't realize just how cool I would look until I was sitting on it. And I'm just riding. And back then, I had hair, and it was blowing. It was awesome. It was so good. But yeah, I was, I was so cool, man. I was riding my 10-speed, and I was just like laughing at dogs as they're coming up. <laughs> Whatever. So yeah, I, what I, that's what I didn't realize. I was getting freedom. And that's kind of what, I, th- it's a bad analogy, but kind of what I want to work our way into this morning as we, as we look into to, to Mark. So if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and uh, open up to Mark chapter 2. We're going to get there eventually. Start heading over there, Mark chapter 2. First, let me remind you where we left off uh, actually two weeks ago. So two weeks ago, uh, Pastor Mark took us through the story of Jesus going back to Nazareth. So remember, Jesus was born in Nazareth. He actually grew up more around Galilee. But I um, can't remember exactly when he moved. But anyway, so he's going back to his hometown, right? So we have this story of Jesus coming back to Nazareth, and, and everybody is loving it, right? He's a hometown kid. They've heard stories. He's out there healing people. He's doing some crazy awesome stuff. And he's coming home, right? He's coming home, and we actually get to see it. He's, he's going to come to our church. He's going to come to our synagogue, and he's actually going to worship with us. He's going to preach. He's going to teach for us. This is our boy. This is our kid. He's coming home, right? So they give Jesus the scroll, and he opens it up to Isaiah, and he starts reading this passage of the Spirit of the Lord is on me. He's anointed me to preach the good news, to, to heal the sick, feed the poor, there was just one problem that Jesus got to as he's preaching through this. He tells them that just like Elijah, which was one of their big heroes, just like Elisha, another one of their big heroes, they didn't really do that much for, for the Jews, if you read through their stories. A lot of their stuff was done outside of the Jewish community. And then Jesus tells them that he is actually here to preach the good news to the whole world, not just the, not just the Jews. And this makes them very upset. So the question is, why are they so upset? Why are they so upset that Jesus is going to preach the good news to the whole world? I mean, that's, that should be really cool, right? That should be really cool that he's going to preach the good news to the whole world. So the problem is, in their head, which Mark has talked about this repeatedly, that they are convinced that Jesus is going to come and he's going to overthrow Rome. Remember, they're not a free people at this time. They're underneath Rome. And so they're thinking Jesus is going to come on the scene And he's just going to demolish everybody. He's going to raise them up to this kind of supreme world power. And the best part of it is he's our boy. He's from our home. This is is Lufkin becoming president and making America great. There we go. You get what I'm saying? This is a a Lufkin boy ascending to president. He's going to overthrow. He's he's going to do great and crazy things. But we get to claim him. We get to claim him, that dude's from Lufkin. He grew up, he went to Lufkin High School. This is what we're seeing here. But when he says, no, no, it's not just for you guys. I'm going to go out there, and it's going to be for everybody. I'm like, whoa, whoa, hold on a second. And they get mad. They get really, really mad. So mad that Luke tells us in chapter 4, 28 through 29, when they heard this, the people in the synagogue were furious. Jumping up, they mobbed him. So this wasn't a, hey, Jesus, come over here. This is they mobbed him, and they forced him to the edge of the hill on which the town was built, and they they're going to kill him. They intended to push him over the cliff. 
they're not just a little upset that Jesus is going to preach the good news to the world. They're mad, straight up mad, right? They're going to push him over the cliff. So five minutes earlier, they're loving it. Like, yeah, Jesus, the Spirit is on you. He's anointed you to preach the good news. Come on, let's do this. And then all of a sudden, they turn. They turn, and they're trying to throw him off of a cliff, right? This is what happens when we think God owes us, or we deserve. We deserve to have something happen, right? This is what happens. And we, when he doesn't do it exactly how we want, we get furious. We get mad. And maybe we wouldn't go so far as um, taking Jesus to a cliff and saying we're going to throw you over the cliff. But what do we do? What do we do when Jesus doesn't do exactly what we want to do? Jesus. Ugh. We give him the silent treatment, right? We kind of turn it back on him and like, I'll come back to you when I'm ready. I'm going to go over here. I don't want to talk to you right now. I don't want to deal with you right now because you're not doing things the way I want them to be done, right? That is until, of course, the next time we need him to do something and we come back on our knees. Please, please take me back, right? So this week's text, before we get to Mark chapter 2, I want to show you something. Um, Our college group that just ended uh, the semester, um, if you're in AC or if you're going to be going to AC, we're going to kick back off in the fall. and We have a great group of I say kids, and they probably don't like it because I'm so old, but we have a great group of kids that are meeting every Tuesday night at the college, and we just work our way through Scripture, and it just amazes me. It amazes me the stuff that they point out, stuff that I never even thought about, and we have great discussions. Um, We talk a lot about stupid stuff, but we have a good time, and so if you're going to be in AC next fall, uh, come find me, and we'll uh, we'll hook you up and and tell you what's going on, but uh, at the end of John, we worked our way through John last semester. And at the very end of John, the very last line says this. Jesus also did many other things. If they were all written down, I suppose the whole world could not contain the books that would be written. So in comparison, in comparison to that, the whole world could not contain all the books that would be written. We have a small sample of what Jesus did. We have four Gospels, and there's a lot of stories in there, right? But we don't have every day of Jesus' life. And according to John, he did so many things that all the books in the world could not contain them. I mean, there's just be books everywhere. The whole world would be filled with books of everything that Jesus did. So the stories we have in these four Gospels must be important, right? That must be kind of a big deal. Like, why would would they pick out this one? Then they had 10,000 stories to choose from, but they chose this one. So with that, let's jump into Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. When Jesus returned to Capernaum several days later, the news spread quickly that he was back home. Soon the house where he was staying was so packed with visitors that there was no no more room, even even outside the door. While he was preaching God's word to them, four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. They couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, and so they dug a hole through the roof above his head. Then they lowered the man on his mat right down in front of Jesus. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, My child, your sins are forgiven. But some of the teachers of religious law who were sitting there thought to themselves, What is he saying? This is blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. And Jesus knew immediately what they were thinking, so he asked them, Why do you question this in your heart? Is it easier to say to this paralyzed man, Your sins are forgiven, or stand up, pick up your mat, and walk? So I will prove to you that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, Stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. The man jumped up, grabbed his mat, and walked out through the stunned onlookers, and they were all amazed and praised God, exclaiming, We've never seen anything like this before. 
So when I'm reading through the Gospels and, and for the, the Bible for that matter, and I would encourage you to do the same thing, is I try, to, I try to think, like, why is this here? Like, why is this story in the Bible? Like, why did, why did the Holy Spirit inspire the writers to put this exact story in the Bible? And uh, I also try to imagine a scene. I try to imagine what it would look like. So instead of just reading the words off the paper, you know, this, this dude was lowered through the mat and he came down and his name is Jesus, be a certificate. Try to picture the scene. Try to put yourself in the scene. Try to picture, like, what would it be like if I was in the room? What was going on? What would have been happening, okay? So we just read that John telling us that Jesus did so many things that if they were all recorded, the whole world could not contain them. And then we read this story of a paralyzed man being lowered through the roof, wanting Jesus to heal him. And at face value, this is a story about someone so desperate to see Jesus, so desperate to get in front of Jesus that he's, wi- he's willing to tear through some obstacles. He's, he's willing to tear through, his, take his friends and tear through a roof. He wants to get in front of Jesus so bad that he's, he's willing to do that. And at face value, that's, that's the story. That's what it is. And I think that is an important huge part of the story, but that's not where I want to go with this this morning. What I want to do is I want to focus on two things that I want us to kind of walk through as we go through this. First one is this. We come to Jesus wanting something, every one of us, and sometimes we are desperate enough as this man to push through obstacles. But after we meet with Jesus, we always, always, always leave with more than we came asking for. Every single time. Every single time when we actually meet with Jesus, Whatever we asked for, whether he healed it, whether he did it or not, we always leave with more than we came asking for. And then number two, Jesus isn't holding back any punches in his declaration that he is God. So those are kind of the frame. That's what we're going to work our way through, those two statements, okay? So let's get going through that. So again, trying to put myself in the scene, trying to put myself in there, and like, what does it look like? So this is most likely not Jesus' house. Just from what we know about Jesus, he most likely didn't have a home. He uh, probably stayed with friends. Uh, there's a lot of assumption that maybe this is Peter's house. So let's go with that. This is Peter's house. Why not? Um, but like most homes at this time, there would be a flat roof on top, okay? And this wasn't just a roof. This was more like a, a, a second floor, if you will, with no walls, okay? So they would store stuff up there. Uh, remember, this is a fishing community, so there's a good chance nets are drying out on top of the roof. And this is more than just a place they go up there. And actually, they would go up there and they would sleep if it was too hot. So if they're inside, they don't have air conditioning, right? And so they're sleeping inside their house and it's too hot. What do they do? They go outside and they sleep on the roof because it's a lot cooler up on the roof to sleep. So there would be some kind, some type of probably stairs or maybe a ladder, something that would enable them to get to the roof, okay? So this wasn't four guys standing outside throwing a dude up on the roof, right? There's, there's some kind of system in place for them to get to the roof because that's an important part of their house, right? But once up there, there's no hole, right? There's no hole in the roof. They get up on the roof, like, okay, now what? What's the plan? What do we do? Start digging. Let's start digging. So they start tearing up tiles, it tells us, and most likely there's, there's clay, there's straw, there's all these things, and they start digging through them, right? They're digging a hole. Now imagine trying to lower someone on a cot or a mat through a hole. So let's assume the mat is six feet long, two or three feet wide. They probably didn't dig or rip up a six by three hole, which you actually would have had to go like a seven by four. Let's go with that. They're not going to, they're going to probably didn't make a hole that big. So probably they make a hole just big enough to kind of get the edge of the cot through. So now we have this situation of this dude hanging on for dear life as they're lowering a cot down kind of at an angle like this, 
And they're like, hold on, dude, we got you. He's coming down, hopefully feet first, uh, coming down on his cot, and the hole's just big enough to kind of get him through there. Does that make sense? That's what I picture anyway. And so anyway, they, uh, they get him through, and uh, he, he finally gets on the ground in front of Jesus. And now imagine you're in the house, and stuff just starts falling from the ceiling. You're just listening. You're there. Man, Jesus is bringing it. Best message you ever heard in your life. God's preaching. Like, this is good. This is good stuff. All of a sudden, stuff starts falling. Stuff starts falling. Everybody's looking up like, what's going on? And then more stuff starts falling. And then more stuff starts falling. And then all of a sudden, you see this little kind of crack of light coming in through the ceiling. And it gets bigger. And it gets a little bigger. And then you notice there's some, some guys up there, and they've got somebody. And this is crazy, right? This is a crazy scene. This is, not, you know, this is one of those things you just read in the Bible. But this small hole gets bigger and bigger until the point where they're actually able to lower this guy down in front of Jesus. This is a crazy, crazy scene. And notice a couple of things. Jesus didn't try to stop them, right? So Jesus is preaching. He's teaching. And so m- most preachers I know that are full of themselves would have said, hey, 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 I've got some p- important stuff to say right now. You guys just hold on. We'll have a healing part at the end of the service, right? This is not the time. This is not the time for the healing. Jesus didn't do that. Jesus didn't stop them. Jesus didn't send anybody outside to be like, hey, can you somebody go take care of that? Somebody go out there and get those dudes off the roof. This is crazy. This is not the time. Jesus doesn't do that, right? He doesn't stop anything from happening. And finally, they get the guy on the ground in front of Jesus. In verse 5, this is what Jesus says. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, my child, your sins are forgiven. And we all say, yes, amen. Maybe you're more spiritual than me, and you probably are. But if I went through all that work to get in front of Jesus, and he says this, I'm like, what? I didn't dig a hole through the roof so you could tell me my sins are forgiven. I dug a hole through the roof so you could heal me. I, came, I dug a hole, my friends dug a hole through the, the roof because I'm desperate here. I need help. I need help. I don't need my sins to be forgiven. I just want to be able to walk again. I mean, he went through all this trouble, but maybe, just maybe, chance, Jesus knows more about this man than, than he thinks he knows. In the Old Testament, disease and death were viewed as the consequences of man's sinful condition, and healing was predicated on God's forgiveness. Let me read you that again. In the Old Testament, disease and death were viewed as the consequences of man's sinful condition, and healing was predicated on God's forgiveness. So this man had probably been reminded repeatedly all the time that something, he must have done something at some point to deserve this. There's some type of sin. There's something in his life that's causing this. And if you really want to get into this, go study Job. Job had some really cool friends, right? They just kept telling him, like, dude, you sinned. What's wrong with you? You did something. Job's like, I didn't do anything. I didn't do anything. He's like, yeah, you must have because that's how it works, dude. You sin, you get sick. You sin, you get sick. Stuff happens. And Joe's like, I didn't do anything. And so there's a really, really good chance that this dude is carrying this around. And they're believing that there's, there's some sin that caused him to be uh, paralyzing. And he hasn't been forgiven of that sin because healing is predicated on being forgiven, right? So in those moments when he's by himself, in those moments and maybe when he's not by himself, maybe he's sitting out by the gate begging He probably thought to himself, he's carrying around this massive burden, so much guilt, that his sin is so bad that it caused him to be paralyzed, and it's so bad he can't get over it. He's carrying this on top of being paralyzed. He's carrying around this massive burden 
of guilt that his sin is so bad that Jesus, that nobody can heal him, right? And we know this, uh, this is a prevalent thought process in Jesus' time because do you remember the story when Jesus goes to Jerusalem and they see the, the blind man, and this is the one where Jesus spits and makes the mud and smears it on the guy's eyes? Do you remember what the disciples asked him when they walked up to the blind guy? Let's read this. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man who had been uh, blind by birth. Rabbi, his disciples asked him, why was this man born blind? Was it because of his own sins or his parents' sins? So we know this is a common belief because of the disciples. The guys that are hanging out with Jesus, they're asking Jesus the same thing. So everybody is under the impression, rightfully so, you sin, you have a consequence. You sin, there's consequences. And so this is what he's walking around with. Jesus, however, goes straight to the spiritual problem, right? He doesn't even address the fact that this dude's laying on a mat, right? <laughs> like, he doesn't even say anything about it. This guy just came down, and uh, we talked about the precarious situation of getting him down in front of him, and Jesus doesn't even acknowledge that this dude is laying on a mat. He doesn't say anything about it. He just says, your sins are forgiven. He goes straight to the spiritual problem before he addresses the physical problem. And what we know from this story is that this guy and his friends wanted to get to Jesus so he could take care of his physical condition, right? There's no indication that he's coming to Jesus to be forgiven of sins. Absolutely not. And there's no reason to think that he would even consider Jesus able to forgive sins. They had a system in place that kind of took care of that, right? They had a system that already took care of all that, that atoned for their sins. And we know that he's not coming to Jesus for forgiveness by the teacher's response in the room to what they say, uh, what they say to, um, I guess, kind of what they think of what Jesus had said, verse 6 six through 7. Some of the teachers of the religious law who were sitting there thought to themselves, what is he saying? This is blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. Now, as we read this, it's easy for us to look at the teachers and think, man, those guys are bad. Those are bad people. Boo, teachers. Boo, teachers. Boo, Pharisees. It's easy for us to get on that and look at them, but say, oh, they just don't get it. How could they not recognize that Jesus is, is who he says he is? But as we read through the Gospels, we see this with the closest to him, right? Don't we see the disciples time and time again? They have no clue. No clue who Jesus is. John even tells us that they didn't, he didn't realize who Jesus was until he walked into the tomb and saw it in an empty grave. And then he's like, oh, okay. It's starting to make sense now. All that crazy stuff he said for three and a half years, it all makes sense. So the disciples, they're walking around with him day in and day out, and they have no clue, right? And so we, we jump on these guys. We jump on them and say, oh, how dare you? You're so bad. You're so mean. But this is their job. They're the teachers of the law. They spent all their time studying the law. And to be fair to these guys, saying you're equal to God was blasphemy, and it was punishable by death. If you want to study that, you can go see Leviticus chapter 24 about the blasphemy part. And this is ultimately why they killed Jesus later, right? Like, he's claiming to be God. Let's kill him. Now look at Jesus' response to what they were thinking in verses 8 through 9. Jesus knew immediately what they were thinking. So he asked them, why do you question this in your hearts? Is it easier to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or stand up, pick up your mat, and walk? So this is a common kind of rabbinical, even a, a common teacher tactic today, right? If anybody's a teacher, your kid asks you, uh, the kids ask you a question, a lot of times, what do you do? You kind of turn it on them, right? You ask them a question. Okay, so you're asking me this question, let me ask you this, and it was it do? It gets them thinking. It gets them wondering, like, okay, well, that's, a, you know. So it, this is a common practice, and this is what Jesus does. 
And his question is a good one. They probably thought that Jesus saying your sins are forgiven is easier to announce than telling the guy to get up and walk. Forgiveness of sins isn't readily identifiable, right? So when Jesus says your sins are forgiven, nothing happens. Nothing physical happens. There's no way of knowing, Pam, your sins are forgiven. Okay, she still can't walk. I didn't see anything. I didn't see any, anything happen. I didn't see this, this, you know, anything fall off of you. I didn't see anything crazy happen. So it's not readily identifiable, right? It's not something you can look at him and say, yep, his sins are forgiven. Jesus did it. I see it. It's right there, clear as day. His sins are forgiven. That's not, uh, you, can't, you can't see that, right? But healing him is different. Healing him is different. That's something that everybody in the room, everybody in the room knows this dude cannot walk. And they're going to see him get up and walk out. And then everybody that he comes in contact with later on that knows him is going to know this dude was paralyzed, right? So it's much easier for me to say, your sins are forgiven, because there's no proof. You know what? I can say, yeah, your sins are forgiven all day long. But you can't see that. But for me to say, oh, no, get up and walk, everybody can see that. And if it doesn't happen, then what? <laughs> then what? You're stuck, right? And so I, I think it's, they have this idea that maybe Jesus can't really heal him. And so he almost tries to pull this sleight of hand, this, uh, this, you know, change the subject. You know, I see you're on a cot and you want to be healed, but your sins are forgiven. Eh. And he does this kind of thing, but Jesus goes on in verse 10 through 12, and he says this. So I will prove to you the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. And the man jumped up, grabbed his mat, and walked out through the stunned onlookers. And they were all amazed and praised God, exclaiming, we've never seen anything like this before. This man came to be healed, right? He came to be healed by Jesus, and he got so much more. He got so much more. And Jesus proved that he has the authority to forgive sins by healing the man. Remember? Healing predicated on forgiveness. Jesus did both. Jesus did both. And so if he healed him, then he must be forgiven of his sins, right? So the first thing we couldn't see, we didn't see any proof that his sins are forgiven. But then Jesus says, okay, so you need proof? Here you go. He tells the dude to get up and walk, and he does. And he does, and that's exactly what Jesus says. He says that he will heal him to prove that he has the authority to forgive sins. So again, we have this man coming to be healed, and not only did he get his healing, he also got his sins forgiven. And we have Jesus proving that he has the authority beyond a shadow of a doubt because, to quote the teachers in the room, only God can forgive sins. And Jesus just healed him. Do you see it? Do you see what Jesus did? Jesus knows what's going on, and he knows what the people are thinking, and, and, and he does it in a way that not only does he heal the man, but it leaves no doubt that he has the authority to forgive sins, putting himself equal, putting himself on that level. And one more thing I, I want to cover back in verse 5. Maybe you missed it, maybe you didn't, maybe you wondered why I didn't say anything about it. Jesus tells him that his sins were forgiven because of what? Anybody, shout it out. Faith, right? Seeing their faith, he told the man, your sins are forgiven. That's what he did. Question, how are we? How are you declared righteous? Not a trick question. How are you declared righteous? One, two, three. Thank you. Right? So we find ourselves here just like the paralyzed man. Maybe you came to Jesus because you needed healing. Maybe you couldn't handle the pressures of life anymore. Maybe you just didn't want to go to hell, right? <laughs> Maybe that scared the mess out of you. You're like, I don't want to go there. So a better option is going with Jesus. 
But we all received so much more than what we came asking for, right? Look at Romans chapter 6, verses 5 through 11. Since we have been united with him in his death, we will also be raised to life as he was. We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. For when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. And since we died with Christ, we know we will also live with him. We are sure of this because Christ was raised from the dead and he will never die again. Death no longer has any power over him. When he died, he died once to break the power of sin. But now that he lives, he lives for the glory of God. So you also should consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. Guys, we've been given so much more than we came asking for, right? Try to think back to that moment where you're like, God, I need you. I need you. I know I'm in trouble. I need you. What were the conditions? What was going on in your life? There was probably something going on, and you said, I need this. I need Jesus. I need you to fix this. I need you to just come in. I don't care what you do. I don't care how you do it. I just need you, right? We come with that kind of desire. We come with that hurt. We come with that pain saying, Jesus, just meet me. Do something. And we get, we get so much more. We get so much more than we were asked for. If you're sick, pray for healing, right? Tell others that you're sick and let them pray with you. Call the elders of the church. Let them lay hands on you. Let's pray. Let's pray for your healing. But we have to remember that healing is temporary, right? It's kind of hard to, to swallow, but I don't know if you know this, but you're all going to die. Maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, but it's going to happen. And that's something we don't really want to talk about, but it's, what is it, death is bad in 100, 1,000%. I mean, it, it just, it is. We're going to die. So you may not die of the sickness right now, but you will. But what we have been given is eternal. It's eternal. Ephesians 1, 13 says this, and now you Gentiles, which would be everybody in this room, I don't think anybody here is Jewish, everybody that's not a Jew is a Gentile, this is Paul writing, and now you Gentiles have also heard the truth, the good news that God saves you, and when you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit whom he promised long ago, so everyone would agree that when we are saved, we receive the Holy Spirit, right, it's kind of a basic Christian doctrine, right, you put your faith in Christ, you're forgiven your sins, Holy Spirit comes in, makes residence, moves in, so to speak, right? Basic Christian doctrine. Now read verse 14. Let you read through it for a second. The Spirit is God's guarantee, not yours. The Spirit that you received after you declared your faith in Jesus is God's guarantee that He will give us the inheritance that he promised and that he purchased us to be his own. He did this so we would praise and glorify him. So if you've placed your faith in Jesus and you have the Holy Spirit living in you, then you, me, we, we have been given, given a guarantee by God himself, by God himself when we receive it, that he will give us what he has promised and that he has purchased us. Notice all the he's in this scripture. I don't know if that makes sense. But notice who's giving. Who's doing all the giving? Who's doing all the promising? It's God. God is doing all the giving. God is doing all the promising. So yes, let's pray for healing. 
Let's pray for safety. Pray for your family. Pray for others. Come to God with your needs. He invites you to come. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying just suck it up and deal with it. Bring your worries. Bring your hurt. Bring your pain to Jesus. But don't forget that he did all of this so we would praise and glorify him. It's one thing to praise him because he healed you of your cancer. And that is awesome. It's a great testimony. It's another thing to praise him because he's purchased you as his own and that you are guaranteed eternal life. One is temporary. One is eternal. And we come with our needs and our desires, and whether he chooses to give those to us, we leave with so much more than we ask for. And when we think of eternal life and we think of heaven, what is it that we think of? When I talk to people, when I have this conversation, most of the time it, people go to the, the beauty of heaven, the streets of gold. God's building me this awesome, massive house, which he's not. But he's doing, we can talk about that later. He's doing all these cool things, and it's going to be this really cool place that we get to live and I think it is. It's going to be amazing. You're going to get there, and you're like, wow, this is beautiful. I didn't know I could walk on gold streets. That's really cool. But try to imagine walking around with no sin. Just let yourself go to that place. Try to imagine walking around, not just no sin in you, no sin anywhere. What's that like? What would that be like to walk around with no sin anywhere? I don't have sin. Todd doesn't have sin. Pam doesn't have sin. Wayne doesn't have sin. Nobody has, there's no sin anywhere to be seen. There's no sin in the air. There's no sin. There's no devil crouching behind the door. No sin. Try to imagine walking around in a place that has no sin. Try to imagine walking around with no fear. Try to imagine walking around with no anxiety, no doubt, no pain, no wondering where is God because you can see him. He's right there. Try to imagine that. That's heaven. It's going to be beautiful. It's going to be amazing. I, mean, I don't know what it's going to look like, but it's going to be crazy. But the fact that we get to walk around with no sin, no fear, no doubt, no anxiety, no pain, no hurt, that is heaven. That is heaven. That's waking up and taking a deep breath and being like, whew, man, this feels good. This feels really good. I don't have to worry about what, it, I don't have to fill in the blank. I don't have to worry about this, this, and this. There's no sin. There's no sin. And guys, that's what we have been promised. We're guaranteed. We just read it, right? You put your faith in Christ, you receive the Holy Spirit. Everybody agrees with that. What's next? What's the next step? God has guaranteed you. He's guaranteed you. God guarantees you. God guarantees that this is all going to happen. It's his promise, and that's what Jesus does. That's what God does. And this is why this is incredibly great news. I tell our, our kids again, our guys, girls in the college, that I'm trying to come up with, and this is, may sound blasphemy, but I'm trying to come up with a better name than good news because it almost loses the punch. It almost loses the, the oomph, so to speak. And so if you have anything that, that kind of trumps good news, incredibly great, awesome, whatever. You know, and that's, that's where we're living. That's where we're at. And we have this incredibly great news of what has been, what's been guaranteed to us. What's been given to us? We came broken. We came, God, would you, would you heal me? Would you, would you let my legs work again? And God's like, sure, I'll do that. But I'm also going to give you this. I'm also going to give you so much more than that. And that's where we're at. That's where we live, and we, we forget it. We forget it all the time. I forget it every single day. And I lay down at night, and I say, okay, whew, man, I'm 
That's true. I'm glad you got that. <laughs> right? That's true. I'm glad you give me your spirit, man. You're done. Because, man, I blew it today. Whew. Let's not talk about what, <laughs> what happened today at work. Let's not talk about the thoughts that I had on the way home because that person in the car was driving too slow. You can ask Teresa about that. I have anger issues in the car. Like, just learn how to drive, people, right? Just, just learn how to drive. Get on my level. Get on my level of driving. But we've been given so much. We've been given so much, and this news is incredibly great and amazing news. And so I'm going to pray for us. Bible study will start in about 10 or 15 minutes, and um, you guys have a great rest of your day. God, thank you so much that as we come to you, we come just as a needy little child. We come just needing and wanting, saying, God, would you please? God, would you please? Would you please meet me here? God, would you please do this? Would you please do that? And most of the time you say yes. Every single time you say yes to forgiveness. Every single time you meet our needs, whether we realize it in the moment or not, you meet our desire and then you give us eternity on top of that. And somehow, Lord, we have in our minds and our hearts, we have kind of reduced We've reduced that to just something. We've reduced that to just a, a thought of, yes, I'm going to go to heaven. But I ask, Lord, as we, as we leave here today, as we go to our Bible study classes, as we, as we go to eat lunch and we have fun and, and most of us have tomorrow off and spend time with our family and friends, and God, I ask that you would remind us. I ask that your spirit that lives in each and every one of us would remind us exactly what you have guaranteed. Remind us, Lord, that this is yours. This is your, you gave, you guarantee, you gave and you guaranteed. Oh God, use us, help us, Lord, not to hoard this great news that we would tell our friends, our family, co-workers, everyone around us that you've got to hear, you've got to hear this incredibly great news. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Bible study will start, like I said, in about five or ten minutes.